Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and hi, listening to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast a part of your day. I'm the Darius. And I'm Chris. And I hope all of you are being safe and well out there. And how are you, my man? Slowly dying of boredom, dude. I have returned back to uh, back to the north, and uh, looks like we're about ready to be put on lockdown once again. Yeah, I was reading. Yeah, I was reading some things about, especially I said New York, especially the Northeast, but especially with New York because they showed the uh, press conferences, uh, the, the Cuomo press conference, and I think they showed the the New Jersey one of the governors up there, and they were talking about potentially shutting it down again. And like down here, like it, it should be, but I'm not going to get into that. But it's like a few bad apples spoil the bunch, and that I, I will I won't go into the I won't get into that. That's how it works. But but speaking of a few, you know, that's a bad apple, but I think it's a good apple. We'll start our conversation with uh, Cam Newton, and he was signed by the New England Patriots. And and I just want to get some of your thoughts on that. So there's two things that Cam or excuse me that Bill Belichick are really really good at doing. The first thing that Belichick is really good at doing is cheating getting away with it, and still being liked by the majority of the NFL. Uh, the second is taking troublesome players and turning them into wholesome human beings while they're employed by the Patriots organization. And Cam falls under that. Um, he, Cam's not a guy like uh, like Randy Moss, uh, where he is just out and about, uh, you know, causing problems with fans or talking shit and, uh, you know, things like that. Um, Cam's problems, I think, spur from Cam. Cam is his own worst enemy. He's his best friend. He's his own worst enemy. Um, I think a lot of the issues, I mean, and granted, injuries have become uh, a problem with him. Um, but also him trying just to play Superman. Unfortunately, if you're not bulletproof, um, bullets hurt. <laughs> um, but Bilicek has had this uncanny ability to take players that have had issues and, and all of a sudden they don't have issues. So could this be the resurgence of Cam Newton? Could, could Cam Newton immediately fill the slot? of a departed Tom Brady and, and possibly excel more than Brady. Because the thing that we, we, we know that cam has over Brady are these two things called feet and they move and they move rapidly. <laughs> uh, watching Tom Brady run is like watching a giraffe on a, on a, on a slick of ice. Um, it's very unnatural looking and, and you just can't help but laugh compared to cam the boy can move. He, uh, he, he's got good, good feet. He's agile for being as big as he is. Um, you know, potentially with them signing cam on a one year deal, it makes him feel replaceable. And I think sometimes in any organization, whether it's the NFL or any sports or a job, if you get this exuberant contract with this exuberant salary, you feel that, they can't really get rid of you. You know, if let, let's just say uh, 
you, for example, Darius, gets hired at one of the bigger local companies in Melbourne, DRS, L3 Harris. They sign you on this, you know, $200,000 a year job that's a six-year bid. You at least know for six years you're assuming um, that, you know, you you are safe, right? Mm -hmm. So I think with, with Cam... Cam understands that he's got one year or less to really make him his presence known in 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 Foxborough, and with all of the incentives, and he got a bare minimum deal that's valued, I think it's like what one and a half or something like that, mm-hmm. and he is with up to seven and a half million in incentives. So I think at this point he's almost working like a sales job that he he could work and make as much as he can based on his performance. Granted, if he stays healthy, which I think may, may be his only problem, but I'm happy to see him get signed to a team. Um, And I think that this could be the resurgence that he needs. Like Ryan Tannehill needed Tannehill. He didn't have as much success as Cam did. Cam did make it to a Super Bowl. He might not have won, but he got there. Tannehill couldn't even get to the the, the damn playoffs, <laughs> you know. Um, Tannehill gets signed and and sealed in Tennessee, and we're all like, "What? They got Mariota though. Why is Tannehill gonna go there?" And then all of a sudden, Tannehill just explodes in Tennessee, puts him into the playoffs, beats New England, and. Here we are. You know, I mean, granted, they got smoke checked by Kansas City, but I don't think anybody was going to beat Kansas City last season. Um, But you know what? I I think this could be a very uh, Tannehill-like situation for New England, that maybe this is just the fresh blood that they need. You you know, I I think you you make a good point, and I think the most important thing that I took away from it was the contract itself. Because it was a prove me deal, in my opinion. I think Cam, and this is what people understand, Cam had a choice of where he wanted to go. That's the beauty of being a free agent. Yeah, he could have said no. And and one of the things I think is important is is that him going to New England, I think makes sense. And where I think Richard Sherman criticized the deal making the bare minimum, but I also argue that Richard Sherman took an incentive laden deal to prove himself at San Francisco, to still prove he had something left. I think players take this deal because they want to have, there's two reasons, to have something to prove and to prove they're still a viable commodity. I think that's why most people think, why don't you take longer deals? While it's safer, sometimes people, you may not get those offers. Cam was not getting no two, three-year deals out there because, A, he's coming off of injury, and like I've said on this podcast, his completion percentage. And whether we, we can play the blame game on that at another time, but that's the reality. He got hurt, and we don't know what we're getting. And if we get 2015 Cam, here, here's the stats that, of Cam Newton when he won the MVP back in 2015. He threw for almost 60% completion, 35 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, over 3,800 yards. He had a 7.1 touchdown percentage. So 7% of the time he threw the ball, it was going in the end zone. Now, if you average out the rest of his the rest of his years, not counting the 2019 season where he was hurt, and of course not including the 2015 season, he's relatively the same dude throwing the ball. But Chris, this is where the draconian this is where it becomes very draconian. 
if you average out those seasons, it's it's not even a it's not even a two to one ratio. It's twenty one touchdowns and fourteen interceptions. That's what he averages. If it in, in twenty fifteen, where that was MVP season, not including that in twenty nineteen, he throws for thirty five hundred yards, but his touchdown completion percentage goes down to four point three. And Chris, that's the complaint that I've always had about Cam Newton. I think we both can agree we know he's a starting quarterback. I think we can Absolutely. both agree on that. But what I've always said Cam's problem was was his accuracy. And I get dinged for saying that a lot because people think, oh, you're knocking his talent. No. I'm not saying he's not talented. What I'm simply conjecturing is is that his accuracy. And we could blame receivers. Russell Wilson have the very same excuse. Russell Wilson was thrown to actual Seahawks a lot of times. <laughs> and yet he was able to throw over 60%. And at the end of the day, we can create excuses, but at the end of the day, I think Cam fits this system I think because it makes sense because Bill Belichick, like you said, he takes risks. To me, Chris, everybody wins in this situation. If Cam Newton becomes the guy that we think he can be, he can go out and make a lot more money in free agency. Yep. But, if it, but if it doesn't work out, it really doesn't hurt New England. So Cam took this deal knowing that Cam's not – Cam's not a he's not a he's not a dumb guy. He understands that he could have went to Chicago and he didn't want to go to Chicago. He could have went anywhere else. He went to New England because he knew he could start in New England. He looked at that depth chart and said, "Well, I can beat out Jared Stenham and I can darn sure beat out Brian Hoyer and and and, and Mo of Three Stooges." So he, I, I I think he he understood that. He, he, like you said, he had an immediate starting job, and then he has the potential to grow there yeah. or make money off of his accomplishments there. Correct. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think, honestly, if I remember correctly, I think we did do an episode of the podcast where, where like, right after the season ended, a Cam Newton versus Jameis Winston, who would we take on our team? And mm-hmm. I think we both, and, and like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure we both chose Cam Newton over Winston. I I think you took it. I took Jameis. Okay. I took Jameis. I, I took Jameis simply because of the fact that Jameis complete the ball, but he can get a better completion. And Jameis, I feel age matters. Like I, it's not age discrimination, but I know what I'm getting with Jameis Winston as opposed to Kim, who I haven't seen play, you know, a full season in two, two years. Yeah. So, like, nobody's saying Cam is terrible. But with that being said, and I did promise that I did have something to say about it, that it may shock some people. And, and, and my prediction is, is that I know I gave wild predictions on here. I, I will stand by the fact that New England Patriots will win at least 10 football games and they'll have just as many wins or even more wins than Tampa Bay. Shit. <laughs> I, I, I believe in that. And people are like, well, Darius, what do you mean? New England has the toughest schedule in football. However, in New England, in, like I said, in Tampa, okay, they're not, they're, they have a like middle of the road schedule. But Chris, Bill Belichick has had, in his tenure there, he's only had two seasons where he hasn't won at least 10 football games. I think, and then for the record, for people saying that, oh well, Tom Brady made that team. Remember when Tom Brady got hurt, folks? In yeah, that Matt Castle took over, and they still won ten games. They won. They could have won the division, except for Miami was very good that year, and won the division. The point is, folks, 
when you when I come to this side of the debate, I always lean to the Belichick because think about it. Belichick was not trash without Tom Brady. If if they would have went five and eleven that year, Chris, okay, Brady the Brady effect. But it, it's a system, and it reminds me of the San Antonio Spurs in basketball, where it's not about the players; it's the system. It's why you see guys like Tim Duncan was a great player flourish because he bought into the it's about buying into the system. And yeah. I think Tom Brady at age forty, he didn't want to buy into the system, and plus New England was not going to pay him, which I completely understand. I would not pay. As great as Tom Brady's, I wouldn't pay him $30 million a year. That's just me from a fiscal aspect. But the one guy who did like the Cam Newton signing was your guy, Jamal Adams, on Twitter. And, and I talked about last week. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it last week. I, I basically said about Jamal Adams, who he wants to be traded, I think that his position is not valuable. I'm not saying he's not valuable. His position is not valuable, and and I want to get since you're the you're the Jets fan. I basically said this, Chris. I'll just recap what I said real quickly. I essentially said that he will get a six year deal in the neighborhood of almost ninety million dollars. Because if you look at the contract of Eddie Jackson in Chicago, what Keith Byer got in Tennessee, if you look what Landon Collins got in Washington, I think it's fair to say that. Safeties aren't getting highly paid like that, but I think Jamal Adams can. So I want to get your thoughts on, A, Jamal Adams. I put up a poll question, and I said, where do you see Jamal Adams playing? A lot of people on Twitter said Dallas. But I had my prediction. But I want to give me, I want to hear your thoughts on Jamal Adams. So, number one, um, like I said, he's Joe Douglas. He's about as bad as McCagman. Um He's he's just dumb, <laughs> and 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 old Joe here, uh, our our defense is built around our secondary, and I think it has been for many years. We had arguably the two best corners in the NFL at the same time with Antonio Cromartie and Darrell Rivas. Um, nobody got past Rivas Island. Let's face it. Um. And we continue to build on that with with Jamal Adams. And you turn on any highlight reel uh, for defense, uh, Jamal Adams is going to be on there. Um, I just I, I I don't know what it is, but they're just not clicking with him. And and he's been very vocal about wanting to get out. And if they don't get rid of him, I think it'll be worse for the entire team. It'll be worse for the locker room because he's going to have that negative attitude that I don't want to be here. And it will transcend onto the field. It will transcend to the fellow players. It will become a lot of discourse in the locker room. And it'll just spiral downhill. As far as uh, where he might go, I see him going to Tampa Bay. I I don't necessarily hate that. I I the team I chose. I I think Philadelphia makes sense. Philly makes sense, but who is he close with in Tampa? Yeah, I I I I, I get the driving point. I I get that, but at the end of the day, I I don't disagree with what you're saying. 
to me, Chris, it boils down to this, and I said it on the I said it on last week's episode. Is is that I gave the pros and cons. Jamal Adams is a very well-rounded safety, very good in coverage, and Greg Williams uses a lot in blitz blitz packages. Jamal Adams is a very very good defensive player. But my problem, and Chris, and you, know, you work in a bit. Chris is about leverage. In this situation, who has more leverage? The Jets do, because because he still has two years left. Absolutely. And, and I, I do believe that this has potential to be spiraling down. It's the same reason why I said years ago, and I stopped being a Magic fan because of this. And this may sound petty, but in hindsight, I feel like I was right with the Dwight Howard situation. Remember when Dwight Howard started, you know, yakety yakety yakking, and I said he doesn't want to be in Orlando. He was a defensive player of the year. This guy was an all star, but you try to fix it, and it made it worse. Yeah. And I and I fear that's the problem. In New York, because let's make it clear, I'm not saying the Jets are a terrible roster. I, to me, Chris, you know me, I'm a top-down guy. Listen, it starts at the top. To me, Joe Douglas is not—he's not as bad as Scott. He's not as bad. It, it, look at some of the things that Adam Gase said about Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> go, go look at the. He said, "Well, I wouldn't have paid that much for Le-. like you know he's your running back, correct? Yeah, like yeah, like, like come on, dude." It's like, I think the problem, Chris, is that with Jamal Adams, I think is that even though he has that, even though the Jets have the leverage, I think the Jets should take a playbook and learn from what the Magic didn't do and get back value because the Magic franchise suffered for at least five years simply because, Chris, you did, you, they could have got a starter and some very good draft picks, Orlando did. And we could talk about Orlando as a potential, you know, championship team. But what did they do? They tried to fix it. And Chris, if you're not a plumber, you have no business fixing the plumbing. Yep. Like, because at some point, it's going to pipe's all... going to burst. Correct. And shit's going to go everywhere. And I think and... that's the situation you're going to see in the Jets. And but like I said, I think the reason why I say Philly is because Chris, I think the the, the biggest point is is that what are teams willing to give up? What teams are willing to give up a first round pick? I think the teams like the Eagles and the Niners, because we saw what what uh, John Lynch did in the draft. He traded out. Yeah, he's willing to move. He traded an All Pro. He traded DeForest Buckner for a first round pick. He has no problem making moves. The problem that I I see in Tampa is, does Tampa want to give up assets? Given that, do they have the space? Because because Chris, the Tampa Bay situation to me is a two year project. Does Jamal Adams want to be there long term? That's the question. Because yeah. are you going to get him? You're going to give up all of these things for a rental, or for the sure thing? That's why you look at Anthony Davis when he's with the Pelicans. Why did he not go to the Celtics? Not because the Celtics the Celtics had picks after picks, but Chris Anthony Davis said, "I don't want to go there. It's going to be for one year." Why he go to L.A. because he said, "I can commit to L.A." So you know the Pelicans said, "We'll just take that deal." Yep. Because at the end of the day, the Jets have the leverage from the contract perspective, but the player has the perspective of, look, I'm you're still going to have to pay me, and I'm not going to I'm going to disrupt your locker room. Because at the end of the day, Chris, the reality is is that Jamal Adams is a very good player. I look at the Jets situation and I go, listen, he wants to be one of the highest paid defensive players, and I think that's what hurts his case. Because to me, Jamal Adams is not Aaron Donald. 
He's not Khalil Mack. He's not even C.J. Mosley, the guy that Jets signed last season. The, the point is that he can be the highest paid safety. I can sleep easy with that. I'm fine with that. But when you're talking Aaron Donald money, I think we're talking nonsense. Yeah. I, I, I And that's where, if I can cut in, that's where I think Todd Bowles is going to step in. And Bowles had a very, very close personal relationship with Jamal Adams during their, during his tenure in New York. Those two were very close, and he mentored Adams, I think, incredibly well to get where he's at today. Um, and I and I honestly think by doing that is that Bowles could be that guy to say, hey, look, come here. I'm going to be honest with you, Jamal. I like you. You're not worth $90 million, though. You're not yet. Maybe give me you know, if you could come here for a couple seasons, maybe you can get that ninety million dollar contract afterwards. But right now, come here, we can give you a fifty. And and I think that his personal relationship, I think may uh, may work to that benefit. Tampa, I I think even Tampa, Tampa's got a good defense. I think Jamal could be that that missing piece that could take them from a good defense to a great defense. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a Jets fan, but Adams does bring a lot to the table. He's good in coverage, he's good at blitzing, and he's a ball hawk. The boy has some hands on him. Yeah, and and I like I said last week's podcast, I, I went into more. I won't take up the time. I, I went into great detail. And Chris, I talked about the way that Greg Williams used him in blitz packages. And you could use him in coverage. Jamal Adams is a very good safety. He's probably a, he's a top five safety in this league. The problem where I lose Jamal Adams at is that I have no problem, Chris, if you want to be the highest paid safety. Because if you look at the market, not a lot of safeties are getting paid. If you look at the franchise tag for the safe position, Chris, it's eighth in, amongst the position players. Yep. So if you – but there's certain anomalies. So – I think Jamal Adams is worth the money because, A, he's only 24. A six-year deal is 30. We're talking about this guy could be in his prime at 30. I have no problem giving him a, you know, a six-year deal. But where, Chris, where he loses me is that you want to be one of the highest-paid defensive players, and the reality is your position is not valuable even on your side of the ball. Yeah. I think a defensive line, linebacker, is way more valuable than safety. That's not knocking safety. I think corner. Go look at the way corners are getting paid. The highest paid corners in the league are just like in the middle part of in terms of overall salary. Like Darius Slay's in Philly. And he's not getting paid the money that he deserves because of the market. Not that he's a terrible player, but it's the market. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and, it's the market of the position. It, exactly. And I said on the podcast last week is that I don't think Jamal Adams is terrible. I think he has to be realistic. Yeah. And I think just be realistic. You're going to get your money. You're going to, just like what I say, with centers in basketball, they used to make a lot of money, Chris. Like, look at Shaq. Shaq made because uh, he was a very he was at a very viable position twenty years ago. Yep. Now, Chris, there's no way you'd pay a Shaq that type of money. Absolutely. Because if he can only do great, can he go in the perimeter? No. Can he versatile? No. So you, so you I, got you got these newer athletes that are built like centers that can shoot outside the key like a point guard, and then drive it up the lane on you like a shooting guard. 
Correct. Yeah. You like know, you, they're they're yeah. they're so universal now that uh, you know it, it's like um, when the Bulls signed. Uh, oh, what was that guy's name that played overseas? What, Tony uh, Kukoc. Yeah, Kukoc. He was kind of look. He was a big, fast, agile guy that could get in, play rough in the key, but then step outside the three point line and drill one on you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and that was, I think, the beginning of it, and it just transcended into just a, a whole league of that now. Um, but you know, I I wish the best for Adams. I I honestly see the Jets turning into the Magic, where we have talent, we can't maintain it, and we just piss it all away. And it's the same thing with me. Like I I've I've always been a Knicks fan, but you know, growing up in Florida, uh, it. it you know, the Magic really, you know, it was the hometown team. It was the closest team to where we lived, and they were always on TV. But they would get all these great players, they had Tracy McGrady and Nick Anderson and uh, Horace Grant. And, you know, granted, Penny Hardaway got stolen from us from injury. But, you know, we had Vince. Yeah, even at one point, we had Vince Carter, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. We had all this talent come to Orlando, Grant Hill and Dwight Howard, and they just can't. They they can't keep them in there, and they just they trade them away for like a hot dog cart and like two extra parking spaces on the other side of uh, I four, you know. <laughs> and it just it drives me up a wall. I I Jamal, I hate to see you go, but I love to watch you leave. I wish you success, and I'm a broken hearted Jets fan. The end. The end. Oh, yeah, that was very poetic. You know, I never knew you, I never know you to be a great writer, but you know, I do what I can, man. But you know, but to shift gears, you know, Jamal Adams went to LSU, and he, like, there's what's the change? I want to talk about college, and Colin Cowherd, who who for the most part I like, I don't hate him because I don't hate people. He 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 made a college football tier list, and I I suggest you look it up and Google it. I did. I agreed with about seventy percent of what he had, but there was just some stuff on there, Chris, that I just thought was garbage. Because, and I'll go, and I'll leave off by saying this. Now, Chris, we all have televisions. I assume. <laughs> we hope. Yeah, and you know we have phones. We have you know iPad. You know we have tablets. Tell me, USC's a tier one team. I don't know on what planet, but. He, uh, I, I, where he lost me was, I didn't listen to what he was saying about coaching and all of that, but here's where I throw it back at Cowherd. Well, if USC has been great in coaching, like after Pete Carroll, you had Sarkeesian, you had Lane Kiffin, who's on his fourth college job, by the way, and the man's in his 40s. So think about that. Just, 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 you know, take that in for a minute. And now you got Clay Helton. What's the common thread, Chris? Two of them guys aren't there, and one guy had the Trojan. He had a he he had a trident following him all season long, poking him. Because <laughs> if he didn't win, he was going to get poked out of out of out of L.A. So, so Calhoun instead, I focused on the last decade. He wants to go twenty years. That's great, but to the NCAA, that it doesn't exist. But the point is, is that it's terrible. So. What we did is, is that we gave our own tiers. We put our own little list together. 
And, like, you know, I even added, like, a quick tier three, but, you know, I'm going to write up an article. It'll be the first article that I write. It'll be co- come out next week. And, and I discuss it more in detail. But, but Chris, I know you did, so I want to go to you first. It's just that who do you have in your tier one of college football? So I did a, a tier one and a, and a tier two based off of the past you know, I would say 12, 10 to 12 years mm-hmm. is, is, is where I spun mine. Um, and, you know, I, I look at Colin Cowards and the first one that just blows my mind is to see USC even on there. I, I think the last time they were even relevant is when when Vince Young was there. I think, yeah, I think that to, to me, I'll just jump in real quick. I'll, I'll let you finish. USC's relevancy, Chris, I could argue they have not. To me, USC football is like UCLA basketball now. It's where there was a point in time, Chris, where 35 years ago was great. Yeah, it was great. But look, the last decade, like I say, do we not have televisions and tablets and Maybe maybe I missed something. Maybe I took I pulled a Rip Van Winkle and I slept too long because I, 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 I'll let you finish. But I just think USC there just doesn't make sense in that tier. Yeah, that that one really like it, it really threw me for a loop on on like how they uh you know how they how they came to this, but you know uh. Colin Coward is one of those guys that just, yeah, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know where, where to, you know, where to step into it, but you know, um, here we are. So, uh, for my, for my tier one team, so I, I have a little bit of a bigger, uh, tier one than 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 old Colin did um so for mine of course number one is is Bama I I think that anyone and anyone who has a basic understanding and grasp of college football uh has an understanding that Alabama has just been the 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 best team that that's been on the market in in college football Nick Satan has just I don't I don't know whether he takes like parents hostage for these kids and is like I'll let your parents go if you win me a national title. Um, you know, I, I don't know how or why or what he does, but damn it, he does it well. Um number two on my list, and it and it pains me. It truly pains me to say this. But number two on my on my tier one listing is Ohio State. <laughs> I, I I felt the hurt on this side of the. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I I know it hurt. Listen, when when I do mine, it, it, it hurt. Listen, you know it's not like you take a needle, but it kind of felt like a knife. But I'm not yeah. gonna get into those. It, it it felt like a, a musket shooting through me. To say that out loud, but you know, to circle back to Bama, you know, Bama's win percentage over the last decade is uh, 0.892. Uh, 
I mean, <laughs> when you're at almost a 90% winning percentage, in the words of Billy Carrington, you must be doing something right. Uh-huh. Um, Ohio State, I didn't pull their stats up right out of the gate, but um, with Ohio State, again, they, as, as much as I don't like them as a program, um, they're still a relevant tier one program. They have won multiple national titles over the past few years. Um, granted, I think a lot of that um, has to do with the talent level that they're playing. And again, that's a whole other argument that we've opened the can of worms on. You know, they've won the Big Ten title five times in the past, you know, 10 years. And I even want to say that they're almost in that same 0.8 winning percentage as uh, as Alabama is. Again, I didn't pull stats, but I, I'm almost willing to bet that they're probably in that 0.8 uh, winning percentage. Again, I think that personally it's, it's due to circumstance because of who they're playing, that they can just walk all over everybody. But, um, you know... It is what it is, but you know, hats off to them. Another one I think that's a, I got a slap in the face was Clemson. I definitely think Clemson is a tier one program over the years as of late. Um, Dabo Sweeney is, is he's a Nick Satan in the making. I think um, he has done wonders with Clemson. They've won national titles. They're constantly in the playoffs. Um, they're keeping the ACC relevant in conversation. Um. You know, other tier one programs, um, you know, uh, you know, Clemson, you know, they they won six ACC titles in the last 10 years. That speaks volumes. Uh, the only the only other team to really give them any any qualm in uh, in the ACC is Florida State. You know, um, you know, some other tier one programs are, you know, our boys, the Florida Gators, um, multiple national titles. I'll admit the past few seasons have been a little dark. We've been having a problem, uh, you know, finding a good quarterbacks. I think that um, Frank's was was an issue now with with Kyle Trask. I I I'm willing to bet money we see them in the playoffs. This uh, I I would put money on that. We would see UF in the playoffs. I the the them. Uh, them being in the position they're in in the SEC, you have a weakened LSU that we play very early in the season. That will elevate us on the on on the on the stat side. And even with the few bad the just bad seasons that we had, still weren't losing seasons. But you know we're still a uh, I think it's point six three eight you know percentage uh, in the win column. So we're well above a five hundred ball club, which many teams can't can't say. Um, you know, some other very notable ones, LSU uh, in, in that tier one, uh, Auburn, Georgia, uh, Florida State, you know, is, is again, as much as that pains me, it really sticks a knife in my heart. But um, they've held it together up until the past few years in the, uh, you know, in the ACC until Clemson's really stepped up and did their thing. Um you know, some some borderline teams that I, I think I would almost put in tier one. I'll give some love as much as I hate doing it to the Pac-12. I'll almost put Oregon up there. Oregon has won to a point when it's mattered, but they've also choked when they played real competition. Um, 
know, so that's kind of where where my tier one is. You know, my tier two teams just to run through them quick. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, Michigan, Texas, Notre Dame, Penn State, Wisconsin. Um, you know, I'm tr- I'm trying to run, roll through my notes here. You know, I mean, you know, Oregon. You know, they've got a point seven five winning percentage. You know, uh, that's that's pretty good. Again, I think it's circumstantial based on on who they're playing, but you know, um, it's it's where they are now. Some teams that I, I'll give like honorable mention that I think almost made it to tier two would be Miami and Notre Dame, but I think that the notoriety of them in the early '90s and the '80s and '70s and so make them known to where they are today but as i've said time and time again um there's something much in common with notre dame and marijuana and snoop dogg's house if you put them into a bowl they're gonna get smoked (laughs) um and that's that's where notre dame has sat i mean they've got a positive winning percentage there again they're uh like a a 0.71 uh winning percentage over the last decade but again they're playing teams like the Navy and all these underrated teams that you, you could easily walk all over. And I and I said it all last season, get into a conference or get out. Stop. Stop wasting my time with this independent bullshit. Um, but that's my soapbox for that. I don't want to take up too much time. I know you wanted to, to touch on this right quick. And you know, all, all in all, Chris, ours is not that different. You know, I only have four because, to me, in order to be a Tier 1 team, championships have to matter. Dominance has to matter. Because it's kind of like when you think of of individual sports, like Serena Williams in tennis. She's a Tier 1 all-time tennis player because she dominated the last almost 20 years of tennis. So when I think of dominance is that you played against competitive – you played against great competition, you've had great competition, and you've dominated them. And when, like I say, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma are tier one teams for different reasons. First and foremost, Alabama, look, the SEC is the toughest conference in, in football. I, I, I don't feel it's much debate. We can argue that maybe the Big Ten is starting to come up. But the reality is, Chris, over the last decade, you can almost you can argue almost the last 20 years, it's been the best conference in football. And I think Nick Saban, what he's done, and I gave the Nick Saban stat, this man has had only one season, one losing season since he's been there. Because he came in the first year he took over, it was a mess. Year two, 10, 11 win seasons. And, and you throw in a couple of undefeated seasons on top of that. Alabama is the best program in football. Because recruiting, if Cowherd, he talked about recruiting. You want to go to Alabama because they produce NFL talent. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, look at Derrick Henry. If if you don't believe me, go look at C.J. Mosley. If you don't believe me, go look at the NFL. Go look at Mika Fitzpatrick. That's if you don't believe me. They're playing on Sundays. They're playing on Sundays. And And that matters. That matters to young players. As for Ohio State, Ohio State it's just a consistent program because I think overall, I think they understand the concept. They, it's a system. 
Because even when Jim Trestle was there, Urban Meyer took over, now Ryan Day's taken over. Chris, they haven't really lost a step. And that's a testament to hiring smart people. Because that, to me, you have to be a great athletic director. You have to hire smart people. People who know what they're talking about and not get in their way. That's why you don't know who Alabama's AD is, Chris. You know why? Because he got out of the way. Say, hey, Nick, here's 10 million a year. This is your team. That's essentially a tier one team. You let them coach. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Bob Stoops. He left. Lincoln Riley comes in. This man doesn't even have 10 losses in three seasons. And Oklahoma has won seven Big 12 championships the last decade. Seven. 70% of the championships in the Big 12 belong to Oklahoma. That's dominant. Like we, oh, we, win, we don't win championships. Well, neither did Notre Dame. So let's not argue logistics. To me, Chris, th- those are my four. Now, my, my tier two is interesting. I have Oregon, Georgia, LSU, simply because Oregon, to me, has been a better Pac-12 team than USC the last decade. Because not only just record-wise, but think about it, Chris. And I was talking, I was having a conversation with someone, and I said one of the things with, you know, with Cowherd's standards is he's talking about recruiting and who wants to go there. Who wanted to go to USC the last decade? Show me, I said, Oregon? Listen, Oregon's producing a lot of talent because of the fact, listen, they went from Brian Kelly, they went to Mario Cristobal. For, they had Willie Taggart there for a year. So think about that. Think about yeah. that. So, and Willie Taggart didn't do a terrible job. But the fact of the matter is that they didn't fall off the face of the earth as a program. They've been successful the last decade because when you look at Justin Herbert, look at Marcus Mariota, look at like, uh, running back Jonathan Stewart, nobody really talks about. Came from the, It's a very good program. It's a very good program. And plus, oh, it helps that, you know, Nike's there too. It kind of helps a little. <laughs> All them just, sweet uniforms. Exactly. It helps just a little. And like real quickly, like LSU, we know why LSU is there. I Notre Dame, I put Notre Dame, Michigan as a tier two school because even though we 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 rag on them, especially I'm not welcome in Ohio or Michigan. So, so we you know if you look at how some of the Cleveland Browns, you understand why. Mm-hmm. But but I I give credit to to Notre Dame especially because here's the thing, Chris, you have to convince. 18-year-old kids to go play up north where it's relatively cold, high academic standards. And, oh, by the way, you know, you, you know, the night, you know, there's nothing to do in South Bend. There's not. I've been there multiple times. It's a terrible place. So what people, so convincing an 18-year-old kid to go there. I, I think I was talking with our buddy Derek about it. And Derek was like, you know, I said, I said, I told Derek, not a lot of 18-year-olds are about nightlife. They're not about, you know, they're just focused, dedicated kids. But you do have some that, hey, where you go matters. And I think that's where I think the USC argument comes into play. Oh, it's L.A. and it's great things to do. Hey, it's great things to do, but it, it, it's, a, it's a futile, it's futile, excuse me, if they're not a great athlete. If they're going there because of the nightlife, and the campus, you know, the, hey, if it's the campus, fine. But, oh, L.A., I get it, L.A. is more glamorous than South Bend. You don't have to convince me on that. Ask LeBron. He left Cleveland and went to Miami. 
Hmm? You, you, you don't have to convince me on that. But Notre Dame, I give a lot more credit because of their high academic standards. It's why I argue you can put Stanford kind of in there because of the same reasons. Like David Shaw's done a great job of trying to get kids to come play at Stanford with high, high academic standards and being a competitive football team, which rarely happens. How do I know it rarely happens? Because where do you see Harvard? Have you seen Harvard ranked anywhere soon? Exactly. So you have to recruit kids who are smart and also committed to play football. Sometimes, Chris, it's not, it's not mutually exclusive. <laughs> exactly. It's mutually exclusive. So, but I also put, I put Florida State there. As much as I'm not, listen, we're not Florida State fans, but I respect a lot of this hangs on what Jimbo Fisher did the last 10 years. Of the 10 years, they had the, the Jimbo Fisher era, giving them a national championship. Essentially, like you said earlier, very well. Listen, outside of Clemson, you could argue that Florida State has been the second-best team in that conference the last 10 years. Like, if you kind of take the Willie Taggart concept and kind of did what I did in Spider-Man 3, you kind of fall asleep. Like, you kind of fall asleep, which I did in the middle of the movie, by the way. And then, and then you wake up, you see, like, the Sandman. That's when the good stuff happens. That's Florida State. Like, you just fall asleep, like, ignore the Willie Taggart era. You know, hopefully Mike Norvell figures it out. But and, and I think that goes to Florida. Florida, my thing with Florida is that I know we're a good program. We're on the rise. And I think we have the potential to be a tier one team in the next five years. Simply because of the fact that I think we have a coach who, who understands football. Dan Mullen, he understands the program. And most importantly, Chris, I think this is where I think people get lost. And he understands the pressure. I think he yeah. understands the expectations of the University of Florida. A lot of coaches fail in that regard, is that they don't understand the gravity of the job they're taking. It's why I've always said, Chris, is that USC, I just don't think Clay Hill gets the pressure of that job. Is that you have to win 10 games. Even though you may be the third best team in the Pac-12, you still got to push out 10 wins. Yep, absolutely. So I have them there. And then I also have Penn State. Michigan State, Wisconsin, and I have Texas there. And the reason why I have Texas there, Chris, is that I believe that, like, Charlie Strong, Charlie Strong, I think it's undue criticism because it wasn't that his teams were bad. It's at that time the offense was bad. And that's the downside sometimes of being a defensive coach. Is it that, you know, as great – go look at Texas' defenses. They were always great. But Charlie could not get that one quarterback. Could you imagine if Charlie Strong had Sam Ellinger? Like, he'd still have a job. Yeah. Like, I, I, I tell people this. No matter what level of football it is, whether it's peewee, college, high school, it doesn't matter. you got to have a, a, a very good quarterback. Charlie Strong, and then in, in the state of Texas, you're recruited against everybody. So Charlie Strong just couldn't get that top 20 quarterback and mold it. Because, listen, Mac Brown had Colt McCoy. He had Major Applewhite. He had some good quarterbacks there. The quarterback position, especially in Texas, like if you ever seen the movie Varsity Blues or Friday Night Lights, you get how big football is in Texas, especially the quarterback position. That's a religion. So, you know, so, but I still think over the last decade, I think Tom Herman is getting on the uptick. I believe in that. And, you know, I have Iowa. 
Like, I have a lot of Big Ten, ten and we, we knocked the Big Ten. But you know what, Chris? They're understanding something that the SEC understood about maybe 10 years ago. Higher, higher coaches. Like, if you pay – don't pay coordinators when you can get experienced coaches. Like, it, unless, the, unless the coordinator is, like, right out of the gate ready. Like, Dan Mullen had to go to Mississippi State, and then he came to Florida. Like, I don't care how great of a coach you are. Like, I'm not saying, like, oh, coordinators can't be head coaches. No, I don't want to get those letters. But my, my biggest point is that they started – like, Jim Harbaugh. They paid for Urban Meyer. James Franklin at Penn State. Kurt Ferentz in Iowa. You know, Mark D'Antonio before he, you know, abruptly resigned. What's the common theme? They paid him. They're paying coaches. Because if, would you take a six-figure job in the Big Ten? No, because it's a power five school. You'd be getting at least maybe three billion. Exactly. Like, go look at Lovey Smith at Illinois. Like this dude's getting paid. He's gonna be there a while because he's got a that that Illinois program has been bad. But they beat Wisconsin. Illinois is a team to look out for. But they had to pay Lovey Smith, who has NFL experience. That matters. The Big Ten is understanding to pay coaches. You gotta pay good coaches. Because basically what you put your money into is kind of what you get. If you, I don't know, there are certain things in life, Chris, you can be very frugal on, but there are certain things where you got to kick out more money. Yeah, like, and coaching's if, one of those things. Uh, imagine, oh, I'm going to be frugal on, like I tell people this, and I had this a very random conversation. I said, like, think about, you know, ketchup. Like, oh, all, all ketchup tastes the same. No, it doesn't. Like, the difference between Heinz and great value. There's a difference. Hmm? There's a difference. And yeah. I love me and I love me some ketchup. So you if you, you get want what you that, pay for it. You get so and then lastly before we move on to baseball, like a quick tier three team, Miami. Chris, this team barely has a this this had they won over not even all oh a little over half their games the last decade. The problem with Miami is simply that Miami just Miami is just not there. They've been bad. Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. Texas A&M, Nebraska, I think, is a team to look out for because of Scott Frost and UCF. But I'll cover th- this. Will, this will be a topic of the article that I'll write uh, for next week that you'll be guys be able to read. But I want to jump in and get some baseball in because we're both excited about baseball coming back. So I just want to get your quick thoughts before we get out of here about baseball returning. So with baseball returning, I am I am ecstatic. We get 60 games. Um, essentially, every stadium will look like Marlins Park. There'll be nobody in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like how they're doing it. They're doing a 60 game uh, setup, and then you're having uh, a good amount of divisional and then non divisional games. Um, we're looking start date. They're kind of bouncing back and forth between what July twenty third and and twenty fourth. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Toward the end of last week of July, yeah. Yeah, so I'm 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 excited about that. The designated hitter, uh, you know, both leagues will be cool. Um, just just the whole the whole thing that they're they're actually trying to do here. I'm actually I'm 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 excited to uh to see what they're doing there. Um. You know, trade deadline will be August 31st. Um, 
you know, September 15th is going to be the uh, postseason eligibility deadline for active roster personnel. And then the week of, like, September 27th, I think, is when they're trying to uh, – uh, we'll, try, we'll try to do it. And then I want to say on, we're, we're actually opening up uh, on the 23rd. It'll be a Yankees and Nationals uh, oh, startup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm excited to watch that because in a lot – uh, I, I don't like to dabble too much on on the money side of it, but the last time I looked, the Yankees were actually projected to win. Um, you know, the good thing for us is it gave a lot of players time that were injured to to, to heal properly. Um, hopefully we don't have the curse where we did last year where we set a single-season record for uh, – most hurt players in a season, but the fact that we still won over a hundred games with people that were coming from our triple A leagues, um, you know, we're, are looking great. Um, you know, and we're even projected. I'm, I'm looking on, I was looking on Forbes yesterday. They were switching between us and LA to have the most wins in uh, this season, you know, well over a 30 win. they're looking 37, the 39 wins. Um, so yeah, I'm just overall, I'm excited. Um, the way that they're, they're breaking stuff down, at least they're bringing it back. Um, knock on wood, uh, you know, we actually get it and something catastrophic doesn't happen where they shut everything down, but we'll see what happens until then. I got my, uh, I got my Yankees Jersey ready. I got my fitted ready, ready to, ready to, to throw it on and, and just watch some ball. Yeah, you know, I just, you know, to be real quick, I think what I like about, you know, the game coming back is the universal DH. I think that it gives NL teams a legitimate shot of winning because I think what has hurt the National League the last couple of years is not having an extra bat like the AL has. And plus flexibility. Like, I'll just be really quick. Like, I'm a Cubs guy, as we all know. And I, what, I talked to somebody and I said, man, we got to get rid of the, you know, the pitcher hitting because I don't want that situation where we have to, like, no. So, essentially, like, Carl Schwarber is a very good hitter, Chris, but he can't steal to save his life. He really can't. So, now with Universal DH, guess what? If you're David Ross, if you're Rossi, there's your DH. And you put one of your better fielders in the lineup, and you can bat him down low in the lineup if he's not as great as a hitter as Schwarber. So yeah. I think that the universal DH opens up, and then extra innings, you get a runner on second. I think it makes the game more exciting. It makes it fun. And like you say, I, the Yankees, I think, are the favorite, Chris, because they have bigger bats. Because I think it boils down to having a potent offense and solid pitching. Like, your pitching doesn't have to be lights out. If you have a great pitching, especially your bullpen, and Aralda Chapman is arguably you know, one of the best closers in baseball. And you see that guy on the mound, you know, it's a wrap. And then you don't have to pitch him as long because, listen, because, you you know, the rosters are bigger. I think bringing baseball back, it's, I think everybody wins, both league wins, we all win in, in that regard. So that's just my, you know, two and a half cents on that. But, but before we go, uh, anything you want to say before we wrap up? Yes, the cancel culture. Stop it. You people are going, I'm not going to get super political into it, but this cancel culture shit 
It's got to come to a stop. If there, there are things where if it, it is deemably and legitimately offensive, I, I got no problem with, with making some form of, of substitution. But because you don't like a chant that doesn't even have direct link to other topics, and I think you know where I'm where I'm steering at on this. Mm-hmm. When the problem is is that a couple kids get behind a keyboard and they cry and bitch about everything, and all of a sudden the whole world has to be changed, and history needs to be rewritten, and everything needs to be canceled because this offends this person and this offends that person. It's going to lead to effect where everything is offensive, and. You know, I, I I posted this this funny video uh, on my Facebook the other day. It was like a British comedy spoof, and this group of people were wanting a picture taken. So this guy rides by on a bike, and he is just like, "All right, I'll take the picture for you, no problem." Uh, I'm gonna say one, two, three. You guys say cheese. I'll I'll snap the picture. And then one lady's like, well, I'm lactose intolerant. I find that offensive. And then someone else is like, well, I'm a vegan and I find that offensive. Then someone's like, I'm a carnivore. I find that offensive. And it's just that's how stupid people sound, that everything offends everyone. Just grow a set of balls. If you don't like something, just don't, I, you know, I, I don't want to say don't look, but just chill the fuck out on this cancel culture. There are things that I don't like. Prime example, I despise Buffalo Wild Wings. Okay. I despise Buffalo Wild Wings because they are not a supporter of the Constitution of the United States. They are vividly against firearm ownership and they do not allow you to carry a gun inside of a Buffalo Wild Wings. They also have came out and said that they will not pay for damages. If something were ever to happen in a Buffalo Wild Wings, that they won't be held responsible. So you're going to tell me that I can't defend myself, but you're not going to take care of me if something happens. That's bullshit. Now, do I go around and stomp on my feet and and get on this cancel culture craze? No, guess what? I, me, personally, I just don't eat there. I don't shop there. I don't get takeout from there. If someone wants to eat there, I say, look, I don't like that place. Let's go somewhere else. And when people say, well, why? I'm just like, I just don't like it. I don't get on my my, my soapbox like I am right now and say. But, it, you know, if you don't like uh, – uh, I, I honestly, I hate OHIO, the Ohio State. I'm offended by that. Can we, can we cancel it now? I am offended. So by the logical standpoint, because I don't like it, I think it should be canceled. That's how stupid you sound. Like, I'm allergic to shellfish. I don't like red lobster. So we, should we close every red lobster down? No, because that's silly. That's my soapbox. Stop fucking with my chance. You know, I think, and I talked about this briefly. I'll just say this. I talked about it last week. It was a great show. I suggest you go back and listen to it if you haven't already. I talked about cancel culture from the perspective of sports. I talked about how name changes. And one of the things Chris and I said was that we should ask those who the who the thing that's offensive affects. Just like I use case in point, I think the most offensive name in sports is the Washington Redskins. I I stand by that simply because for two reasons. A, they did a poll. The Washington Post did a poll back four years, and I talked. I won't give away the episode, 
But I essentially said their poll was flawed because they said nine out of ten people weren't offended weren't offended by the Redskin name, but I said, wait a minute, you didn't ask those, you know, if they ask you and me, Chris, we, we may not be offended by it. Because we just look at it as a nickname. So who do we go to ask? We ask American Indians. We ask, are you offended? And more than half of half of them surveyed said that they were offended by it. And then a bigger percentage said that they were offended when they do the tomahawk chop. And all, over 70% essentially said that they're offended by, you know, the dancing. To me, Chris, those are numbers that I look at. Because I look at something that actually offends, I, whom it offends. Like, if, like if, just like in the Redskins, if, if it offends American Indians, I don't listen. The problem with cancel culture is, Chris, and I think I went on Twitter, and I said this a while back, and I said, the problem with cancel culture is, is that there's no logic behind it. Give me a reason to cancel something logically. And we can talk. But if you just want to cancel things because you don't like it, like you say, Chris, the examples you gave make sense. Like, for example, I'm not the biggest fan of, you know, black walnut ice cream. Well, get rid of it. I don't like mayonnaise. Get rid of it. I can agree on that. I'll get the fucking rid of mayonnaise. Yeah, like, like if, if we want to cancel things, give me a reason to cancel something, not because of likability. Because I, I always say, you got to balance logic with emotion. Because if one seeps over the other, Chris, it's an imbalance. And that's all I'll say on that. It's simply because, because I covered it, I covered it last week with the Washington Redskins. When I, and then also, listen, I also say, who does it affect? Listen, the National Congress of American Indians said they were offended. They under, if they say, it's, I listen to them. I listen to those who it affects. It's just like essentially saying, I know we're not going to go super political before we wrap up, but it's like if you survey certain people and ask them their feelings about, well, how do you feel about, you know, rap music? Like, if you ask a bunch of people that say, oh, I'm offended, well, who did you ask? Because, Chris, who you ask matters. Because you have some who are not offended by rap. Because remember there was a point in time when we grew up, Chris, where they thought rap was the devil. They thought like they thought rap was the devil. You had people in Washington instead of doing their job. Hey, let's cancel rap. Like not all rap is bad. The rap now is bad, but not in the rap twenty years ago. Was Listen, bad. I bought the Slim Shady LP like six times because yeah. I would buy it. My mom would tweak out, and I was a good little suburban kid, so I shouldn't have been listening to this. And then she'd go and fucking take it from me and break it. And then I'd be like, son of a bitch. Now i got to take my allowance money and go smuggle in another. It, I, it was like contraband in a jail. And I just kept smuggling it in. Like, you're not taking my Slim Shady from me, Mom. I'm 13 and I'm trying to figure out what these words mean. Cool your fucking jets. Yeah. Now, and... now to piggyback <laughs> what you said, modern rap music, that shit should be banned. All this mumble rap, fucking bullshit, trash. Ban it. I just I, literally, if you if you look at my Spotify, it's Biggie, Tupac, Jay Z, DMX, Eminem, a little bit of Kendrick Lamar, some of his shit actually I, I like, um, Little Wayne, some odds and ends. None of this bullshit they're playing. If if I could just get early two thousands in 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 nineties rap, I'm happy. This new shit should be banned. That's my cancel culture. Cancel it. I don't like it. <laughs> MGK, you're canceled. Ah, boy. 
I think Eminem did it for us, though. I haven't heard much from him since. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could argue 50 Cent canceled Ja Rule, too. But the point it's like a canceled, it's like a sitcom that always keeps getting canceled. And it keeps going to another network and it keeps getting canceled. That's Ja Rule. Nice. But, <laughs> but speaking of things that won't get canceled, we're out of time for this week's episode. But just remember before you go, listen to this episode and every episode of the Sports in the World podcast. Head over to anchor.com sports the world or go to wherever your podcast can be heard and just type in sports and percent for the word and and the world to listen in to catch up and to subscribe as well go to our facebook page facebook.com sports the world go to our poll there'll be a poll question in our facebook group later on and well follow me on twitter at I, I talk about things on here and on there and everywhere like cat in the hat but until then, folks, until you hear us again, I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. Remember, be real, be easy, and be safe. Have a very, very safe 4th of July weekend. See you. <laughs> <laughs>